Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies to past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, and I can't tell you how important it is for a business to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business, or even for unexpected emergencies. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use later on. Just remember, the time to set up your line of credit is when you don't need it, so that when you ha- when you do need it, it's ready to go and you're approved. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Julio Gonzalez uh, from Engineered Tax Services. Julio, um, who embodies the living uh, American dream, is uh, is a CEO of Engineered Tax Services (ETS) the country's largest specialty tax engineering firm specializing in federal tax incentives, IRS compliance and standards and tax issues for all business sizes from small businesses to Fortune 500 firms. Julio is a self-made billionaire. He grew up very poor, a Cuban immigrant, one of eight children in elementary school. He became involved in wrestling and pursued that like all things he does with a passion. He ended up getting a full scholarship and uh, college scholarship and a place in the Collegiate Wrestling Hall of Fame. With a degree in accounting, he went to work in a top five firm, but found a niche in tax credits and started his own firm. He is also a philanthropist sitting on the board of many charities, including Turning Point USA and the Heritage Foundation. Julio, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I am sure that this podcast is probably going to be one of the most listened to because whenever someone hears tax incentives, tax breaks, you know, it, it certainly uh, catches someone's ears and eyes when they, as a business person, um, would you, would you say that the majority of business out there uh, it's more than a majority, we, like 95% don't take advantage of any of the tax incentives that are out there? I would say that's absolutely correct. I think that a big percentage, maybe it's 99%, don't take advantage yeah. of all the tax incentives. And so, you know, I'm glad that you're creating some awareness and some education so that people, you know, will have a better opportunity to take them in the future. You know, I, I have a friend who is a... Um, um, he's, he's a very good businessman. Um, he, he started getting, he had a family business for 80 years, finally, uh, took over from his family and, uh, it was, that was not that great of a business. Um, but it was at one time, but then he moved into, uh, university, um, housing where, you know, basically he was buying buildings and, and developing near universities and and he is so good at finding tax uh, 
benefits, you know, tax advantages. It's it's a real skill set, isn't it? It's a real skill set. And, you know, when you're buying student housing or you're investing in any real estate, you know, I think the big advantage here is that when you buy real estate, you get to expense the whole amount. You get to write off yeah. the whole amount. But any other investment, stocks, bonds, right? You don't get to expense that, but you do with real estate. And the reason that's great as an investment is because typically you get appreciation, you get rent, you get all the things that you would get with the stock market or bonds and things of that nature, but you don't get to write those off. Now, with student housing or any real estate investment, just let's start there real quick. There's something yeah. called a cost segregation study, okay? A cost segregation study is basically an engineering report that tells the real estate investor how much of that project, how much of that student housing, how much of that property is basically non-structural versus br the bricks and mortars. Now, when we do a cost segregation study, we typically are able to then write off 50% of the purchase immediately, or you can go back and recapture all that missed depreciation. So what does this mean? Okay, let's go through an example, right? You, yeah. they got a line of credit with you, right? Okay. Yeah. So they want a million dollar building, right? So like they got to put down some capital, say $200,000. So they come out of pocket $200,000, right? Use the line of credit, use some debt. And now they have a million dollar property. Well, now we're going to do a cost segregation study and we determine that 50% of the building is non-structural. So we get a $500,000 write-off. Now in New Jersey, federal, state, local taxes, that's all more than $250,000 cash benefit. So you paid back yourself the $200,000 that you came out of pocket. You put $50,000 more in your pocket. You created a $500,000 write-off in year one for the business owner that can be used to offset income of any kind. And now you have an appreciating asset that's getting rent. I think business 101 is buy your property because uh, this is the magic of real estate. Don't rent when you can buy and you can rent to yourself. I think that's important. I, I completely 100% agree with you. I, uh, so I'll tell you, um, I, I think I'm a perfect example of what you're illustrating, not in regards to the cost segregation, which I kind of wish I knew about that. Um, but the, like, so I, in my second business, um, it did really well. And uh, seven years into it, it did really well financially. And uh, and I'm talking about as far as a small business goes. I mean, it got to about six six million, but the 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 margins and the profits I was making on it was excellent. And a, a funny story, and as an accountant, I know you're, you you will appreciate this. And that is, um, my accountant drives up to my office unannounced, an hour and a half drive. He calls me and says, "I got to come up and see you." And I, I'm a I'm a young guy at the time. You know, I'm in I was in my mid to late thirties. And so, you know, he comes in my office and he goes, Steve, I have something to tell you. He goes, you um, have to pay $280,000 this year in taxes. And because it was really my first kind of couple big years and I was on a cash basis and all this other thing. And I hadn't got into the idea of, and we're going to, of having a tax plan right? To reduce your taxes. And so, um, so, you know, it was, 
a shocker, right? Now I, I had the money and it was fine and everything. But what I did next was I bought a building and I, you know, bought a 10,000 square foot, foot building. I actually, you're going to laugh. It cost $150,000, mm-hmm. the building. I bought it from Chase Manhattan Bank who had their, had a branch in the building, but they, the building was 250 years old and I, and it, it had some problems, but it was gorgeous. And I instantly knew that this building was going to be a beautiful building once it was fixed up. So then I put a lot of money into it, it was more than wealth uh, worth it. It's worth $1.5 million now. I kept my offices in it. I rented the rest of it out and I've had it for 20 years. And, you know, and I think the number one way that small business owners can build wealth is have their own real estate for their offices. You know, no question about it. And, you know, I think, I wonder how many small business owners realize out there, let's just take the example of McDonald's, right? McDonald's, the largest real estate owner in the country, yeah, they weren't about necessarily making hamburgers. They wanted to create a program where someone would come in, be a franchise, and basically make a few pennies selling hamburgers, maybe a you know, good return, maybe three to five percent return. But they would lease the real estate from McDonald's. So McDonald's owns all these properties across the country. They're getting rent, they're getting a little override on their franchise income, right? But they're getting the depreciation from the real estate, so they're offsetting their income, right? So they're the biggest landlord in the country. Pretty smart move, right? You got to pay me to teach you how to make hamburgers. You pay me rent, <laughs> and I get the depreciation to offset my income. Yeah, I um, and you know what the thing of through history is, you know, it's funny. I I would see people um, who who are not really that smart business people, and they would have real estate, and they would do really well. You know, they it, it just real estate. As long as I guess you're in for it the longer haul, right? And maybe you don't even overpay for a building or, you know, a couple of other things that are involved in that is it's, it's a no lose situation in many regards and, and a, and a very much of a win. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, I preach it to a lot of business owners, but, you know, I think everybody who, a lot of people have small business owners, they, you know, at least when they're younger in their business, they think they're going to make a big, you know, they're going to make this hundred million dollar company. And I, and I kind of say, don't think that way. I mean, think like you want to build wealth and you want to keep building. And one of the reasons uh, what it's, what it's helped me with is I've been able to leverage that building to get a line of credit with banks, which allows me to, do what I do now for a living in many regards. So it's, I agree with you. Well, let's take your example. So you could have just over that last decade paid someone rent to rent your space, right? And that would have been all that money, no return, right? You, You rented that space and there's no return on that. But what you did is say, listen, let me buy that building. I'll get a mortgage. But now I have tenants that are actually paying my mortgage. Yep. So they're paying the mortgage and I'm getting an asset for $150,000 that's now over a million dollar value and someone else paid the mortgage and 
you got to basically be in your office for free and now you've accumulated over a million dollars just from yeah. not paying rent and you know paying yeah, and I've been able to yeah and I've been able to use leverage the building you know you know what what people a lot of business owners who are smaller who haven't really dealt with banks yet they don't understand that you're not going to get a line of credit if you don't have collateral you're just not going to get it the banks aren't going to give it to you and so, you know, I, my line of credit is an uncollateralized line of credit. So we provide a line of credit with no personal guarantees and no line of credit. So it's completely different than a bank. Um, and, but anyway, having this building has given me lots of options and, and plus the passive income that you're talking about. Um, you know, there's been times when I've been, you know, up and down through businesses. Um, you know, luckily my businesses have all done well, but, um, the one thing you need to do if you're going to go from be a serial entrepreneur like I have and, and uh, has, is that you need to have a runway because things are not always going to go up. <laughs> you know, there's going to be pitfalls and you got sometimes close companies and sometimes, you know, sell companies and those type of things. And so you need a runway. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of enough about me. But I want to get back and ask you a question because – I, I don't think I understand what uh, the, the, I think you said it was called a cost segregation. Was that it? Yeah. Cost segregation. Listen, so this is, this is the most brilliant strategy, right? So in our country, you buy an investment property and if it's residential, you write it off, you expense it over 27 and a half years. If it's commercial, you expense it over 39 years. So you get to write it all off, but it takes quite a while. But in our country, we changed those rules in 1999. We said that if you, you can use that traditional method or you can perform an engineering study and the engineering study says, okay, of this building, 50% is bricks and mortars, 50% is HVAC systems, lighting systems, flooring systems, all these components that have you know quick exhaustion. And then when we segregate those things that we call you know, personal property, not real property under our current tax law that can be expensed immediately. Now, the good wow. thing is, like, if you didn't take advantage of it, in, say you're someone in your audience, they're like, well, I've owned my building for a few years. The IRS lets you change the method of depreciation on your building anytime. So you mm -hmm. can say, okay, I've owned the building for five years, but I didn't do the, I did the traditional method. Now, what they let you do is say, okay, well, I, if I did the, engineering method, I would have had $200,000 more of depreciation in those first few years. They allow you to catch that up in the current tax return. So you don't have to go back and amend tax returns. You just say, I'm changing my depreciation method from traditional to cost segregation. I'm catching up all that missed depreciation. And you know that's great, right? Because you're offsetting your income. Now, I want yeah. to address something. You said that you know, it's passive income to you, right? So yeah. now if you do a depreciation study, you're going to get a lot of losses. Okay. Now those yeah. could be passive losses, which means, you know, passive in the tax world means it's not your primary business. Okay. So you don't get to offset your ordinary income, your W-2 income, the income you pay yourself from your business with passive yeah. losses. Right. Of course. How, right, right. However, if you're the owner of the business, and your business is part of that building, there's a rule that's called collective activity rules. And that means that, you know, you really would have bought the, 
the building in your business, but you you did it for legal purposes. But this grouping activity allows you to take it as active losses wow. as well. So this is huh. what my clients do. They go buy buildings. <clears throat> Let's go through that example one more time. Okay. I owe the IRS $200,000. You know, they, the account says, you owe $200,000. Well, you're like, okay, if I buy that, if I take that $200,000 that I have to write the IRS a check, now I take that $200,000 and I say, I'm going to buy a building. Well, if I'm putting $200,000 into a building, it means I can get a million dollar building, you know, probably, I mean, in that range, right? With yeah. the bank debt. Yeah. Sure. Now I do the cost segregation and now I get to write off half the building up front, 50%, 500,000. So now I've eliminated the $200,000 in taxes I owed because I got a $500,000 write-off. Oh. And instead of that check that went to the IRS, I have a building wow. where I have tenants that are paying rent. I have an appreciating yeah. asset. Now that's what- So you can go, you can go back um, since, I, since, I, since I paid that $280,000 in taxes. Could, if you buy the building after the fact, can you go back and, well, and because a collective- I forget the word you use, collective. Yeah, the grouping activities. But you're right. Listen, grouping activities. The IRS allows you to go back. So say that now I take all this write-offs, and now I got a big loss, right? Now, I had all this appreciation. Well, that loss can be carried back to previous tax returns, where then you can get a refund on the taxes that you did pay on. Wow. What about if a building is fully depreciated already? Yeah. Can you go back and... Receive to reapply that the, uh, the I stink at terminology the cost um, basis or whatever you know no segregation yeah, you know once the building's fully depreciated obviously there's no advantage right because there's nothing to depreciate anymore but sometimes you buy a building and you've put in improvements and those improvements are still being depreciated over sure. the traditional method we can cost segregate any of those improvements that are still uh -huh. being depreciated to catch that up as well. So I would imagine that a traditional business accountant doesn't really know about this. It was, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, it's fair to say. I mean, you know, they're, you know, the average accountant is dealing with what three different tax changes over the last two years and then everything else. And, you know, so when they're putting in a building on the uh, tax software, the tax software doesn't use artificial intelligence and say, oh, hey, listen, you have a client with a building cost segregation that's going to generate this type of write-offs. And unfortunately, you know, most accounting firms, unless you're at the big four level, you know, and that's Deloitte, you know, KPMG, you're not, not going to have an engineering department because they're not going to have enough yeah. clients. That's what, yeah. and I'll just, you know, to promote myself for one second, you know, engineer tax services, we work with over 12,000 accounting firms. So when their clients do buy real estate, we make, they call us and have us do the engineering study for their clients. So that's a big yeah. part of what we do now. Also, let's just know this with buildings to the extent that you make the building energy efficient, you put in new energy efficient lights, or you put in a new energy efficient heating and cooling uh, air conditioning system, or you put on a new roof or new insulation, there's tax credits and incentives associated with that. Now you can go back and get those as well. So there's a lot of little tricks to buildings that most people don't take advantage of. But again, if you're a small business, you own a real estate property, you know, this could be a big advantage for you. What about if you, 
Uh, does your firm get involved in non-properly related tax incentives? So are there, you know, are you getting involved in other things? Like I know my friend, I told you about the university housing. I mean, uh, you know, he finds all these different grants and other things that are out there that helps him, you know, with the building. Yeah. Are you doing other, because I could, I, you know, my listeners, of course, you know, the, maybe my my listeners are in the, you know, 1.5 to $2 million range, sure. you know, on average. They're hearing this and they're saying, you know, Julio's talking about some big bucks here, you know. Does your firm get involved in smaller stuff? Oh, of course. I mean, like, you know, when we work with accounting firms and CPA firms, we work with whatever client they send us. And really, the people that are that million-dollar revenue business, those are the real patriots of our country, right? Those are the ones creating jobs and creating small business opportunities for our, our economic you know, development here in our country. So you know, hats off to you guys for being those entrepreneurs. Look, there's a lot of tax credits associated with being an entrepreneur, million-dollar business, and it not related to real estate, right? There's employment tax credits, okay? Employment tax credits for what? Hiring disadvantaged people, hiring minorities, hiring veterans, right? So a lot of times, and this is a refund of the labor. We also have now employment retention tax credits. Did you retain employees during the pandemic? Right now through 2021, you can get up to $9,000 a quarter for employees that you retained, right? Because you sacrificed, you continued to pay them wages during a pandemic. So those are opportunities, right? Look, on those are federal. So employment tax credits, work opportunity tax credits. These are employment tax credits at the federal level. A lot of the states have state matching programs, local incentives as well, and grants on the employment side. So look, we always have to look at employment, even yourself, right? You employ yourself, that counts too. So let's talk about that. Now, a big one that small businesses miss is the research and development tax credit. Now that's also a refund of labor, okay? Now that labor is labor associated with improving a process or a product within a small business. So say you have, uh, you know, you're doing lines of credits for, you know, your clients, but now you've automated it. You've put it on a software platform. You've made it easier for people to come into the web and, and get your product. That's all automation to you. That's a, pro that's a process of making that product better. Now, what we want to do is refund the labor that that company had, whether it's, you know, employees or subcontractor, right? Because we want to keep those jobs in the United States. Now, if you said, I'm going to make this process easier on the internet, but I did it out overseas, I outsourced it overseas, that's not an R&D, that's not a research and development tax credit. So, but every small business, they're always trying to improve process, they're always trying to improve products, be more efficient, that's all R&D. That's you trying to do something better, faster, cheaper, or make the product better. And those are refundable processes. So what is that refund? It can be anywhere from 10 to 20% of that employee's labor every year, right? To keep that job here in America. So that's an important one. Some states where you have state income tax will match it, right? And, uh, and again, local incentives. So what, which ones did we just go over now? Employee, employee retention tax credits, work opportunity tax credits, research and development tax credits. Now, 
those are three main stables of employment that, again, most companies don't take advantage of. Yeah, sorry. I uh, had to quiet my son. <laughs> he came in my office. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, uh, how do you get paid? How do you get paid? Do you get paid, uh, you know, is, well, how, how do you get paid? Yeah, I mean, basically, we get paid on success. So, yeah. you know, we basically, again, typically it's the accountant and he's coming to us or the CPA or their CFO. And he's basically saying, look, we have this company. We think they're doing some research and development tax credits. They bought a building. They retained employees. They hired some disadvantaged employees. We'd like to get them these tax credits. So what we do is we do a review and we come up with an estimate of the tax benefits. And, you know, we charge anywhere between 10 to 20% of what we recover. And, uh, and again, I think that's, I really enjoy what we do. I mean, working with the accountant, CPA and the client, rewarding them with these tax credits for things that they're doing to improve the country, you know, hire employees, invest in the infrastructure. Look, you know this, when we were talking about real estate, our, our, our bigger you know, clients or businesses, Yeah, we read this every day, right? Amazon didn't pay taxes. You know, Microsoft mm. not paying taxes, right? They're just using the tax code. Yeah. And they just have a more sophisticated accounting team. But let's, that's why I partner up with accounting firms. Let's bring that sophistication used by these big tech companies to every small business owner. They all should be rewarded. Yeah. So there, I mean, how many people do you have working for you now? Uh, right at 200. 200. And um, so like, so I would assume that, and this is okay, the people who are smaller businesses, you, you would give to a more junior level accountant that works for you um, because it's a smaller amount of money. Is that accurate? Well, I don't, it's accurate in the sense that you know, everything we review for the client through their accountant, you know, gets reviewed, but then it goes to a senior manager and then, you know, yeah. obviously a partner. I get it. Yeah. 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 I'm fine with that. I mean, of course, I think we all understand that you're not going to get someone who makes a thousand dollars an hour on your, on your two, $2 million business, you know? So, because, you know, but that I'm sure that, is it hard to understand all the tax incentives that are out there? It's very hard. You know, uh -huh. they constantly change. We change our tax code three times over the last two years. And so our tax code has changed. It's hard for the accounts to keep up with it. It's hard for even the software companies to keep up with all the tax changes. So it's very complicated. Why? Because we have over a million pages of tax code. And, yeah. you know, the general software that people, small business owners use probably addresses the very general yeah. tax Topics. Yeah, that's not going to do it. It doesn't get into the yeah. incentives, right? You know, you're not going to yeah. go into QuickBooks or TurboTax, and it's not going to address those kind of incentives. No, no. I mean, I, I, you know, certainly, I think when your business gets over a million dollars, then you, you better start, you know, really paying a lot of attention to. I agree. Your, Listen, your I, I say this to every small business owner that when you get to that million dollar level, having a good accountant or a good accounting firm can be an investment, not an expense. And I would say this, go with an accountant that knows your business, knows your industry. Make sure you ask them, do you understand the tax credits and incentives in my industry? And 
that's really important because if you're paying that accountant a thousand dollars a year, he should be producing five thousand to ten thousand dollars in benefit. Not only the savings that he's going to get just from your traditional, you know, deductions, right? The X's and O's of accounting. It's these tax credits, these added incentives, or he needs to pay for himself and give a return to you. And you better interview your accountant and make sure you got the right one. What about um, in regards to Julio too? Um, so let's say, you know, you're, you're a small business owner, a million dollars. Maybe they're not going to call you yet, Julio. They don't feel like it's the right, the right time yet. You know, what would you advise a entrepreneur, a business owner with a, a million plus business to start paying attention like to their to the, the potential tax advantages that are out there because you know normally I think an entrepreneur will say well I'll just leave that to my accountant right that's his job mm -hmm. I'm running a company let him handle that let her handle it um, should a entrepreneur try to spend a little bit of time staying on top of any potential incentives 100% 100%. And yeah. how would they do that? You got to always invest in yourself. And the easiest way to do it now, I mean, fortunately for all small business owners, you got the internet, right? And you can go in and go under your industry and say, top tax credits and incentives for software manufacturer, for whatever that business is, you know, building homes. And, you know, you'll identify some things. And then I think you have to like invest in yourself you know, that doesn't take very long, right? And then say, find a few things and pass it on to your accountant and say, look, I saw this about, you know, work opportunity tax credits, R&D tax credits. Can you read this? Do you think this is something? Because, you know, I got to be honest with you. You know, the accounting profession has changed. I mean, the accounting profession has changed in the fact that, you know, the accounts now just rely on the software. But the software yeah. today isn't artificial intelligence driven. Right. So yeah. it's not going to tell you anything more than that. And I can tell you this, that the software is going to miss of the million pages of tax code, 999,000 pages. Right. So you got to kind of do a little due diligence yourself. Go to the local chamber, see if there's, you know, volunteers. Usually the local chamber will have like a tax volunteer or, you know, there's score. Score is by the SBA. Yeah. Right. Go to score. Yeah. And, you know, these are retired accountants that can help you. This is free, right? This is a free service, but you got to invest a little bit in accounting. Yeah. I think there's, um, I think the mistake that a lot of small business owners make, and I, I alluded to it earlier, and that is, is you, you know, look at it, look at it this way. Is your job as a business owner or an entrepreneur to, uh, keep making money to, for your business? Is that your job? I don't think that's your job. I think your job is to, uh, you know, in essence, uh, your job is to build wealth for yourself. Those are two completely different things because I, I see it all the time where I see business owners who are making good money with their businesses and then they spend the money like crazy in their personal life and they're not building wealth. And that's, that's, that's an extreme example. It's a very true example. But the idea here is your number one priority of an entrepreneur is not building a company, is not building a company that, that throws off uh, money to you. It's building your net worth. With net worth comes options. 
and, and also sanity too. Yeah. Well, you're right. Look, when we talked about the account, investing in the research is an important thing. The biggest investment you can make of your cash is in you, right? Yeah. Bet on you, invest in you. You're right. Don't live beyond your means. You know, yeah. make that first investment in your business, grow your business, because you're right. With that comes all the privileges and all the excitement uh, and, you know, everything that comes with that and helping, you know, families and their members with, you know, wages and all those things. It's such a great return, but you're right. You got to invest in yourself and having a good accountant can help. And I'll, I'll say this because I hear all these horror stories every day. You know, I'll talk to small business owners and he's like, I just wrote a check to the IRS for $200,000. And yeah. I'm like, well, do you own a building? Yeah, I own a building. Well, you didn't have to pay it. We could have done a cost segregation study. You could have not paid that $200,000. You could have kept that $200,000 in your business. You didn't have to write the check. You, yeah. you had $100,000 in employment tax credits. You didn't have to write the check, but you didn't even take them. You didn't take them for 10 years. I see a lot of businesses yeah. that didn't take them for a decade and gave to the IRS a tip, I guess you could yeah. say, right? A big tip. Listen, it's yeah. really important. I know that here's what I think the small business owners, you know, like make the biggest mistake. One is they don't invest, right? They, you know, put that money into their own personal goods, right? And go beyond their means. I think the other thing too is like, if you, if you think an accountant is an expense and you're going to go with the H&R block and those type of things, people that have learned, you know, how to do a tax return after a day of school, you're going to miss and all these incentives and all these benefits that are awarded to small businesses, you're going to overpay your taxes. And this investing in the accountant, like you said, is about preserving your wealth. Yeah, you know, we 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 had a, a situation recently, which which with our, with our own company, it's really challenging for a small business owner. Like, I'll give you an example. So we have an, our accountant um, that does our work, and. You know, I I knew we had this one we had this one area where we spend uh, where um, it's I don't know how to put it it's a you know it's an area that of concern for us in regards to the amount of money we're paying in taxes mm -hmm. and and so you know I'm like you know talking to my I have a business partner who's fantastic and I was talking to my business partner and I'm like you know, we need to find somebody who's an expert at this mm -hmm. to really address this. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, um, so, you know, I, he's like, well, let's, you know, let's see if we can find it because our, our existing accountant who, who we like, um, he really kind of, um, he had one solution, which was a pretty interesting solution. And so, you know, where do you, you know, where do you turn to? And so I was like, all right, let me call my lawyer. Mm -hmm. And, and she used to specialize in tax, uh, uh, legal issues. And mm -hmm. then she went out in her private practice. And, and so I called her and I didn't, she, you know, she called me back and she said, well, tell me about your, you know, she left me a voicemail message. I never got back to her and uh, I should have. And, um, and she said, well, you know, tell me the tax issue you're having. And, uh, and then I left it there, but you know, it's almost like you need an accountant you need a tax accountant and you need 
a good lawyer on your team, right? So the tax accountant is different than your accountant. Yeah. I guess that's where your firm kind of falls into place. Yeah. I mean, that's really where we fall into place, right? We are, you know, that tax accountant, the tax attorney to the accountant, right? So we're their partner. Yeah. And, you know, we're there, you know, basically using the tax code, we're using the tax law, right? And so, you know, it's quite different and it's a, it's a way of different interpretation of things, but obviously, you know, it's hard for an accountant to know tax law, right? I mean, you got to like actually read the code and then you have to go to a different section to see how it applies to that kind of business. And, and right. So we're a blend, right? And again, we work with the accountant. We don't get paid unless we're successful, but every account should have a good tax attorney program in place with someone like us or someone like, you know, us and ultimately bring that benefit to the clients because at the end of the day, they owe it to you. Yeah. And let me say another big mistake, right? I mean, here's, I think a catastrophic mistake. Don't go to the accountant in January for last year and say, here's everything. You yeah. got to be planning, right? You yeah. have to be planning. You have to yeah. get with your accountant in the beginning of October, maybe November, yeah. maybe December and say, this is what we're estimating. Now there's yeah. ways, once you know what that is, to start working that down. You know, traditional ways. There's traditional ways like don't, don't do your deposits for a few weeks, right? Don't have that revenue in that month. Prepay some expenses. Some of the you know, easy ones. But if you don't do it and it gets to 1231, it's too late, right? But there's also other things, you know. Yeah, I used to, what I used to do uh, with a different company, our accountant now that we, we're, we're in talks with constantly because we do a, a lot of different things. But, but one, one of the first businesses that I had had, um, the second one, I would talk to my accountant every quarter. And just to call them up and just say, this is how the, this is how the quarter's going. Mm -hmm. This is where, where we are. And I just had it on my calendar. You know, he, I, I, he, I think he's the one that suggested it. You know, the, the good thing, like one of the, I'm going to tell you one of the simplest first step in selecting an accountant, get someone with snow on the roof, mm -hmm. <laughs> get someone with gray hair Yeah, <laughs> because you know, uh, that, you know, Let's face it. If in accounting, if you're around longer, you you learn more, and I think that is important. I had an uh, I tried this one accountant out early on. He was only you know three or four years out of college, and you know he was so by the book on everything that I it just wasn't a nice it wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I whenever I try to get advice, I try to make sure that somebody's going to be um, experienced at it. I think it's critical to have someone with experience that, again, not only experience, but knows your industry. And, you know, from time to time, you could, you know, get your tax returns and have another accounting firm review it to see if they're finding things that maybe or your tax attorney and see if there's any gaps or things that are being missed. And, you know, it's always good to uh, do that due diligence and check how your team's already doing. Yeah, I, I a funny story for you. And um, I, I had had a mentor for 19 years, and um, I, every quarter I would meet with him. And really, really smart guy. Um, and 
we, he actually turned me on to his accountant. So I used his accountant and, um, he, he, he was like really, he was up in the upper echelons of monies, you know, really like close to the billion dollar mark, my, my, uh, my mentor. And he had, he would be talking to me about, you know, starting, uh, having businesses that are in, you know, offshore, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like a $1.5 million business business. And he's talking to me. He had like literally over 500 businesses that were, you know, in different parts of the world for different reasons. It was, I think he, he, he was a financial guru and, um, and I, you know, he was always talking over my head and, um, but, uh, I never, it was just, you know, at one point I finally had to say to him, well, I go, I'm a $1.5 million business. I, I'm not going to offshore stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but, and I think that's what scares a lot of small business owners. It's, you know, you, you already have to spend a lot of time trying to learn your own business. Yeah. And now you got to go out there and learn about tax incentives and taxes. It's like, you know, I don't, that's a lot of time. And then you have your personal stuff that is going on in your life, you know, with and not only your family, but your taxes. It's just another thing that's, it's challenging. It's challenging for me. And I know it's challenging for many small business owners. Well, you're right. Listen, you know, always finding that good partner, whether that's your wife or the accountant or your spouse, that's, that's important. And I would say this, you know, like, you know, people ask me, how can I improve my taxes? And you're not going to like this answer. So I apologize in advance for saying this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Sometimes it's a matter of moving from the state you're in, right? Yeah. Some states want to take 20%, 15% of what you earn, and some states don't. And sometimes, yeah. you know, and I, I know it's not easy for everyone to get up and move, but I think we've learned during the pandemic that sometimes you can do the work from, you know, different locations. You can do it from your house and things of that nature. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not a tax expert, but I do know based on, you know, other studies that are showing that it's not as big a gap as people lead, you know, depending on if you have a unique situation, right? Um, it's not as big as you think it is, um, the tax issues. And then you look at, like I, I, I told, you know, I'm calling it, I'm from New Jersey. I'm in New Jersey. And, um, you know, our school system is rated number one in the country. Okay. And so you look at other areas and if you move there, your kid's going to a private school. Yeah. It's not going to go to a, a – so you got to take that into account. And sure, we pay a lot of taxes, but I can tell you, I have two kids. Our educational system for high school and below is fantastic. So, uh, you know, everybody has their own thing. But, I, you know, I, it, it drives me crazy when people say, well, hey, um, New Jersey's uh, taxes is crazy. And they have three kids in the school district. And I'm like, wait till you go apply to colleges and you find out what the colleges think in New Jersey. And so there's other things that are involved in well as well. But I agree with you that there's, you know, there's different ways of looking at it as well. Well, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, like you see that some businesses are offshoring, right? Going to Puerto Rico, that's a prime example. They're mm -hmm. not going there full time, right? But they're spending a bulk of their time there because it's a drastic different than the federal tax code. And you're right. The big corporations, they'll offshore as well, because at that point it becomes significant. But I agree with you. Listen, 
in New Jersey and some of those states, you got great schools. So you have to evaluate it all as a small business owner yeah. and take that into consideration. And, you know, at some point, maybe your children are old enough and they've, you know, um, gone off and now they're, you know, off the family payroll. And, you know, so, but you constantly have to be evaluating those. So I can just say that, you know, when you get to a certain size, it can make a difference. But again, you have to make sure everything's equal, right? I agree with that. Yeah. And I'll, believe me, I, I'm looking forward to moving out of here only because I've lived here my whole life. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is in the plans. But And I haven't crossed the bridge yet where I, I look at the state based on a tax mm-hmm. basis. Yeah. You know, I'm still looking at taxes. I'm still looking at the state based on what my quality of life is going to be like. No question. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, it's interesting. So I belong to a... I've belonged to the same group of entrepreneurs for 20 years. We, we, we're part of the entrepreneur organization. Um, obviously we were, and, but these 20 guys for, I'm sorry, these nine guys for 20 years, um, have gotten together every month for five hours. And so we're all in the same kind of age group. Now we're in the 56 to 62 year old age group. And, um, you know, a lot of them, now, a couple of them are, you know, that now really looking at that area of what state do I move to because of taxes and quality of life and all those other things. So it's, it's interesting at different phases of your life sure. when you start to say, okay, now's the time for me to kind of look at that. I think when you're 35 years old and you're building a business, I, you know, I don't think the idea of, you know, moving to a state kind of comes in a different state because of tax purposes comes in into play. Although with, uh, with remote work now, uh, I think you're right. It's going to be a bigger issue. Well, you know, and listen, I, I'm a very proud alumni of EO and uh, love the organization. Yeah, me I, too. I love the uh, brotherhood of that organization. You're right for, uh, you know, two decades, you know, me and our, our group got together and, you know, a lot of us just got older and sold our businesses. <laughs> and yeah. That's the natural ev- evolution. But I would say for every small business to get into some type of program like that, where you're meeting monthly with peers that are, you know, can share and each other's, you know, ideas or problems and have that board, you know, is a tremendous investment. You're absolutely, yeah, what, a, you're what not, a great organization. If- yeah, if you're not belonging to that now, I mean, any of our listeners, if you don't belong to the entrepreneur organization, you have to do it. It's just fantastic. And, um, you know, just Google entrepreneur organization or EO and you'll see it. There's 15,000 members throughout the world. And uh, I certainly would not have been, uh, you know, I certainly would have made so many more mistakes if I wasn't in with my my group. And they're, they're some of my, they're my best friends. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a big deal. Well, good. That's, you know, it's a great conversation. I, I knew it was going to be a good conversation, Julio. It's just, there's a lot to it. Uh, anytime someone is talking about how we could save money as business owners, it's a great conversation. Um, I'd like to thank so very much uh, Julio Gonzalez from Engineered Tax Services for coming onto today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 
or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's again, that's FS is in financing solutions, creditline.com. Julio, if anyone wants to get in touch with your firm, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, you can go to the, our website, engineeredtaxservices.com. We put up daily tips about how to take advantage of different tax credits for small business owners, how you and your accountant can take advantage of. We do it all across all sectors. So you can go by the type of uh, company you have. And we certainly try to break it out by industry. And uh, so we appreciate you allowing us to share that. Great. And I think it's helpful for everybody, definitely, who's, who are listeners. If our listeners are interested in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at S. Halasnik. That's my name, S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K. And, you know, I think the number one thing to take away from today that we should all know is that as much as running your business is probably your top priority, your second priority in business is how much little can you save in not paying taxes. Hopefully, it's from a legal standpoint, um, and uh, and I think it's it's something as your business continues to grow, becomes a bigger, bigger part of your day. So everybody. Have a fantastic day. Get outside. The weather's beautiful. Uh, before the winter starts coming and we start having issues again with COVID, I'm sure. Um, everybody stay safe. Take care of your family. Love your business. Enjoy.